my message is just that, you know, I actually don't even think that the people who need to, who are listening to this probably need to be told to vote. I would just say, if you can, and I think almost everyone can, do the extra step, go the extra mile, and get other people to vote. All right, welcome back to I'm the Villain. Um, <laughs> dude, by the time you guys hear this, it will be six days until the election. Which is fucking wild, although maybe a mischaracterization because we are well into the election, right? Sure, until election day. And even election day is actually not even really that meaningful because it's not like we're going to know anything for we're a not while. Know a damn thing. Right? So it's like really unsatisfyingly like anticlimactic. You know what I mean? <laughs> After, like, this whirlwind of a year, right, where we're like, oh, my God, like, you know, like, there's a pandemic, and it's like, oh, is Trump going to die? Like, you know, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, these, like, ridiculous debates, and it's just sort of, like, so, so unsatisfying. Man, the No matter what thing, happens, right? The whole thing has been just an unsatisfying shit show. Yeah. And it feels like even coming out of this for progressives, we come out with a guy that we're not even that excited about in a best case scenario, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> in the best case scenario, we come out with the guy that we're like, yeah, dude, whatever. Like, you're not Trump. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, corn pop. Like, you know, did you watch yeah. that video where he was talking about <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the video? I don't know if I showed you this. Joe Biden was at a town hall, and he, um, it was, like, during the caucus times. Remember caucuses? What the yeah. hell? Yeah. And, um... Do you remember he, which caucus it was? Or which I town can't, hall? I can't remember which town hall it was, but I'll, once I'm done telling the story, it'll be really easy for you to look up, and I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> so he, he was talking to this woman, and he was like, you ever been to a caucus? And she was like, yeah. And he was oh! like... I know exactly what you're talking about. And he was like, oh, yeah? (laughs) No, you haven't. You're a lion dog face pony soldier. (laughs) (laughs) A lion dog face pony soldier. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I was like, I was like, this feels weird and racially charged. I can't, I don't know if it is. It probably isn't, but something about this feels weirdly racially charged. Really? Like, like, I feel like it was more a, like a gender thing. I don't know. Yeah, Actually, I, I don't, don't even, know. Because like, she was talking to, I think, like a white woman. Yeah, something. she was She was a, a whole ass white lady. Yeah. And he called her a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> what? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, what? I don't even... Like, someone said that to me. I have no idea how I would react. Yeah, same. You know? Uh, so... But there's a lot at stake here, right? And I I forget a lot that we're all we're looking at congressional and Senate seats too. Yeah. And I mean this is this is a huge this is huge. It's like it's it's anticlimactic and an interesting juxtaposition because this is certainly the biggest, the most consequential and most contentious election of our time and also the one that will that will it's happening like a, a fucking slow motion train wreck, right? Right that we have to just see through yeah i mean and i didn't wasn't it was like 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 uh 
Jake Tapper or something who after the first debate he was like that was a train wreck inside of a dumpster fire inside of a <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? so did you watch the second debate no I we were both playing Catan during the second debate remember <laughs> yeah but I went back and rewatched it oh I didn't rewatch <laughs> I was like what can I possibly learn after watching the first debate I mean granted I did know that they had the mute button for the second one yeah but. it was you know, it's interesting how that's going, how it's playing out. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull up 538 right now, but I, I don't know if it's affected Trump's chances. Well, I mean, isn't the the classic like, like political science uh, knowledge is just that it doesn't really like debates never really affect the outcome. Yeah, they don't really. I mean, it's interesting because Trump had a very different strat in debate two than in debate one. Like he'd been coached a lot to not interrupt anymore mm-hmm. and like to just generally not be as big of a dickhead yeah and he did a good job of that and was much more coherent and i think that he like you know was scoring has scored points for that but i'm looking at the 538 projections and it hasn't changed at all yeah so. yeah i mean th- i don't yeah i didn't think that th- that was gonna to really have an effect at all but i mean i went back and rewatched those clips um from the 2016 debates with like Ken Bone, right? And <laughs> honestly, 2020 Trump made 2016 Trump look like a gentleman. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I I don't think people remember the question after Ken Bone, but the the question that whoever that person was who asked the question after him asked was what is one thing you admire about the other candidate? I remember that question. Right? And Hillary Clinton was like, "Oh, I admire his children and like he actually gave a legitimate like you know i admire that you know hillary clinton is a fighter and she does not give up and i respect that you know yeah and i was like wow (laughs) we would not we would never get that yeah nowadays (laughs) um and i mean and it makes sense because the clintons and trumps were friends before that election yeah they were like they kicked it on Epstein's Island or wherever the fuck they were, you know. Right, right, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, dude, what's our message here? We got vote. vote. I mean, okay, so I really have been just so much more activated during this election than I have been for any other election, right? For like, sure. this is the first. Like, I'm gonna be a poll worker for the first time, which is actually really scary given how much you know we've been seeing these headlines about like the trump army showing up at the polls yeah like he like he asked them to do it during the first debate yeah (laughs) like the proud boys and he was like oh you know like stand back and stand by and you're just like i mean hopefully that's not gonna deter people from voting right but like i as someone who's not even like i've already voted right and uh-huh. i'm like just apprehensive right because we didn't even get any kind of training around like who do you call if that happens yeah do you call the police you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i mean i think that we're already seeing that it it isn't or it on the what whole is it? like people are voting more than they've ever voted before yeah and so you know, I think that we're seeing that people aren't intimidated. Or I guess we won't we won't see that until, you know, election results and demographics come in. Mm-hmm. But from a sheer numbers standpoint, this is, you know, we've never seen early voting numbers like this before, ever. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah i heard i saw some number from like florida that like you know between like people aged between like you know 18 and 29 like in the 2016 election they cast like 7,000 votes and now they've cast like 200 something like thousand votes or yeah. something yeah dude the vote i mean it's getting it you know it's it's consequential as fuck right and i think that it's certainly a different feeling than 2016 like a 2016 it felt like i think you know everyone kind of felt like it was a joke right like oh yeah we got this in the bag and hillary was doing a bad job and trump was doing whatever he was doing <clears throat> and now i feel like people are voting like their fucking life depends on it. <laughs> which it literally <laughs> because does because it literally does right especially because we know now like during that election it wasn't like we were afraid of things like stopping the voting early that wasn't even on the table right yeah that wasn't like we weren't afraid of having the entire election up in front of the supreme court with a 6-3 conservative majority yeah it's i mean right it's unprecedented right the things that were that were that the average american is having to think about now right like, yeah trying to there's so much now to educate yourself on in terms of like how to properly fill out your absentee ballot, how it needs to come in, when it needs to come in, how many signatures it needs, how many envelopes it needs to be in. And at the same time, there's so much happening in courts across the country of people, you know, of whatever party trying to make last minute changes or, or adaptations to the election cycle and the other party suing them and saying that's not okay, right? And we're seeing it on... on on either sides of the aisle, mm-hmm. um, but with a constant thread of, you know, there's been a lot of people or a lot of states that are like, we need to push back our, you know, our our deadline for when ballots need to come in, yeah. or because some you know, and some states are like, if your ballot's not here by election day, then it's invalid. And some states are like, you have two weeks after election day as long as it's postmarked on election day. So there's just a lot, there's a lot more for the average American to keep up with. And I think that we're just seeing a lot of people being like, fuck it, I'm going to vote early because I, I don't want to risk it. And this is such a consequential election. Yeah. Um, but it feels fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's very easy for that overwhelmed feeling to kind of pa- be paralyzing, right? Uh-huh. And I also want to, like, you know, obviously people should vote, but I also just want to highlight, like, what I've been doing and what people can be doing, even though obviously there's only six days left, but it's not like there's no time left, right? Like, there's, like, obviously I'm going to be a poll worker. I I wrote letters. I wrote, like, 200 letters with, like, vote forward to get people to to the polls and like get out the vote I, I do think that like the critical period for phone banking in terms of like okay do you have a plan like whatever is now right yeah because like i feel like two months ago people would have been like ah, eh, i'll figure it out right but now it's really like okay like you you have to know at this point what you're yeah. gonna do like it's, right it's very it's very important yeah and if you <laughs> um yeah, no, phone banking is a thing that can happen right now. And I think that we talked about this on the podcast before, or I, I, maybe it was just you and I talking, but now is also a really crucial time where, like, small-time donations do matter. Why? You know? Like, I think that's something that is not necessarily obvious. Yeah, I think it's just that right now the candidates are going to be blitzing 
the like all the media outlets like reminding people to vote Mm -hmm. and these i think those kind of blitz ad campaigns are probably a little cheaper and your your dollar goes almost exclusively to those things right yeah and also here's something that i learned from a friend of mine who's like really more into politics than i am she was telling me that if you donate to directly the campaign apparently there's some law i had no idea this was the case that any media or like advertising platform has to give them the cheapest possible rate if it's from the actual campaign itself right oh i didn't know that yeah so i my recommendation is if you're trying to figure out a place to donate especially if you um can donate to down ballot races like specifically like state senates and stuff like that because it's a census year and those are actually the governing bodies where your money a goes the farthest right like there's some crazy you know factor of it's like by a factor of 10 of like you know it takes only like a couple you know maybe a hundred thousand dollars to flip like a state senate seat as opposed to a you know congressional senate Seat, right, which right? From, that's, from that's like millions of dollars. Yeah, from a crowdsourcing standpoint, is very, very doable. Yeah, so like that can have a lot of impact, and they're the ones who decide, right? Like for the for the next election, like you know what the district, like all the districts are going to be redrawn, right? Yeah. And like you know, in in a swing state like Pennsylvania, for example, or like North Carolina, <laughs> or North Carolina, right? Or you know, Florida, like all of these places. Like, a lot of that kind of in-the-weeds, nitty-gritty policy on, like, oh, can you have an early voting period? Or, like, you know, how easy is it to vote by mail? Are there drop boxes? Yeah, like, all, all those kinds stuff. of... It's all state, Senate, and, like, you know, state, house uh, policies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, it's... I think I was talking to some friends earlier this week, and, you know, they were like, who who should we, like, should I straight ticket or not? Like, should I, like, just vote Dem down the ticket? They're voting in North Carolina. And I, you know, I was like, yeah, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but also there are there are resources out there where you can, like, learn easily about candidates. And let me see if I can find the one that I recommended to my friends. And my point here is that if you haven't voted yet and you don't have a plan for, you know, who you're going to vote for, for local elections just like isabel just said like you know your money and your vote goes kind of a lot farther in a local election than it does in a federal one and you know those are the kind of the the policies that you're going to hear or feel the most seriously so like you know dude get activated and like try and learn a little bit about the stuff that is, is affecting like affecting your your home where you are Mm-hmm. yeah um you know and obviously this is in the same vein of I think like two weeks ago when David was on the podcast, we were talking about DC local elections, but. Well, I mean, I was so impressed with like the level of just like watching those debates. They were so well done. They actually gave me a lot of information. Like I feel like way more information than even just like looking up the websites of those people about what those people's like, you know, policies were. So like if, there are like town halls that you can watch like i feel like that is a really nice like time bound activity that you can do that's like a very achievable thing to do before the election and especially because like a lot of the the down ballot you know roles like i didn't know anything about like you know the board of education or like the commissioner or like you know 
what they do or like why they're important or like you know even if i saw their platform kind of what does that mean you know what i mean yeah so i do think that like there's a lot of resources out there that you do you i mean i you definitely have to dig but like they exist you know what i mean yeah i know that so the one that i found from north carolina is called ncvoterguide.org but i'm sure that there are yeah like as said resources uh for wherever you need to go yeah and whatever you need to do and let's see I'm on I'm on a site called vote411.org right now. That there you know that I'm sure vote411.org is a, is one of many different resources that you can go to. Right, right. And like the other thing that it makes me think of is is I had a friend in I have a, multiple friends in California who like in California apparently they cuz you know how they do their like you know crazy list of propositions on the ballot every year is like you get mailed to you like a full ass book of like not only like what the propositions are like the plain english and then there's like anybody can like send in a like opinion about a particular proposition that they will like any citizen at all that they will publish in the book and people will sit down and have like voting parties where they literally just like you know read through that whole book together and like make sure they understand it and stuff like that and it's just like can you imagine like if we had that level of civic engagement like everywhere you know (laughs) i wonder what the i wonder how you know if that does result in higher voter participation in california than in other places i don't know i feel like that's definitely a very easy to um look up thing but like i i don't know if actually that would like obviously there's like I know people who are, like, very civically engaged, but I also think it could possibly be a deterrent to people if they have to go through this huge book, you know what I mean? To be like, oh, like, I don't have to do this. This is, like, homework. You know what I mean? Yeah. The other thing that, you know, for even just from, obviously, like, there's, like, the standard arguments for why you should be voting, but it really reminds me of Elijah's episode on climate action um, where he was talking about how, like, if you call, you know, a senator or a congressperson, if you are not on the list of like people who voted in the previous election, they don't care, right, what you have to say. So it really kind of like amplifies all of your other political activity also in a way that I just I, I had no idea that that was the case. Like I just assumed that like as long as you kind of were in their zip code they would weigh you equally as everyone else like i didn't even think it didn't even occur to me that they would check if you were a voter or not you know what i mean yeah but yeah that's huge yeah i think that's i was really yeah kind of blown away when he talked to us about that because it's something that even me as someone that i think is pretty hyper aware of like voter suppression efforts and things like that i hadn't sort of connected the cycle like that right where you know, they then get to use it as, just, as a justification for not campaigning to you or, like, further, like, further keeping you out of the loop of the, um, of, like, the political process, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's cyclical and, like, you know, if you're not, they don't, they don't campaign to you, you don't vote, which is good for them, because you, because, you know, in these people, like, the people that we're talking about, people that we're referring to right now, you know, probably don't think that marginalized populations would vote for them so it's beneficial like they don't want the voting yeah and it just it kills me when people use this argument of like oh i'm gonna stick it to the man by not voting 
right? <laughs> and you're just like, that's exactly what they want you to dude, do. They, what are you talking about? You're not sticking exactly to anyone. Like, yeah. You know, I, I'm really sympathetic to the idea because I hate bipartisanship, right? I hate it. Like, obviously, I think it, yeah. And I'm really sympathetic to the idea that it has to start somewhere in terms of like trying to break us out of the system. But, you know, it feels like every, I feel like we, we heard this in 2016 and in 2012, where every time an election comes around, we get these like, you know, these strong group of anti-bipartisan voices. And I'm like, dude, where were you in the last three years? Right. <laughs> like, right. you know, like it does, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to figure out when, when you're going to, when or how we like really make a strong anti-bipartisanship push and how it, and how, how it even looks. Well, you know, but, this, this is actually something I get in a lot of fights with people about. And I actually, I'm a little bit like not really sure at this point where I fall because I hear a lot of people who are like, oh, I am not in a swing state. I'm going to vote third party because that's the only way for third parties to get any kind of traction is if people vote for them, right? And then I also hear the argument like, no, regardless of where you live, regardless of whether you live in a swing state or like a, a, a place where that's fully blue or fully red or whatever, you should never vote third party because A, the, the narrative is still impacted by the number of votes that the candidate gets. Like, even if you are, like, you know, in my, my parents live in Connecticut, even if you're in a totally blue state like Connecticut, if the turnout for the obvious candidate was still lower than expected, that still adds to the narrative where it's like, oh, well, even in this place, it seemed like really safe states. They didn't seem like they got as many votes as they thought they would. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and also, like, is voting for third parties actually going to put third parties on the map or is that actually going to just require a major legislative overhaul that can only be done by the parties in power? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's a little bit of everything, right? Like a, a friend of mine was asking me if I ever thought that a third party had a chance of winning any election ever. And I, and I said that I feel like I've seen incidents of independence winning seats at, in local office because they because they campaign really well, right? Like DC is a perfect example of that. Like a lot of people who are running for that at large seat that we were talking about were independents. Yeah, and I think that places like DC, you know, cities that go blue are really good examples of this because people do end up having to vote like you can't vote straight ticket in DC because everyone's a fucking democrat, right? So I think it does, you know, it requires people to think a little bit more like just pe- just beyond a party indicator. Um and people have to rely, or candidates have to rely on campaigning a little bit more. So I, I, I guess where I was going with that was saying that, like, it does feel possible that a third-party candidate could win at least in a local election, but I think that as we go up in sort of, like, you know, state and federal elections, I think you're right in that it's probably, to me, it's going to, I think it's really going to come down to changing campaign finance law. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, like... As long as corporations and, you know, shadow money can back certain candidates, there's always going to be an imbalance of power um, unless the U.S. like takes really concrete steps to try and create programs either to in like the D.C. vein to elevate candidates that don't have corporate backing or to just bar corporate backing in general. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I do think that some some level setting has to happen there. So like you know, advocacy on a policy level has to happen, and like I think that you know this. I think it's this is probably easier said than done. But if there are like third party candidates that are really credible and like have a really great like you know I think or like have an actual like skill set that could bring them to the top, then I feel like campaigning should be should start early and be really aggressive like i didn't hear about george organson until literally like three months ago mm-hmm. and you know i still don't even know who that is who is that george organson is is the leading like third party candidate oh, um, i think like the green party i think she's a libertarian okay um and some people really like her um and in a very similar way that like people liked gary johnson mm-hmm. in you know whenever it happened or whatever like people like her because she's like she's not she's not trump or biden i think she has some like slightly problematic views and some good views she's a libertarian so she's like limited government kind of situation um but the point is that like there are i forget the ways but there are some really salient ways in which i would never vote for george organson but but anytime i don't hear a candidate's name until three months before the election like they're not going to win right well and even in 2016 i do actually feel like because there was so much hatred for both candidates, like you were hearing like the third party candidates' names coming up a lot more. But like, I actually am kind of glad that that's not the case during this election, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's so high stakes, right? It's so high stakes is that we cannot be worrying about that. You know, <laughs> and then like we, have... we, we just can't. Like, yeah. and then we have Kanye fucking West. Who... Is he running? Kanye West is running, but he like as a what? He... He he is trying to get people to write him in. He yeah he <laughs> he is trying to get people to write him in right now. He took yeah. a, he posted a video of him like writing his own name into a ballot or someone writing his name into the ballot. Which by the way, if you're listening, is illegal. Don't post pictures or videos of your ballot. Yeah. Um, you can't do that. It will invalidate your ballot if if it's seen or whatever. Okay. <laughs> um. Also, I have no idea how they enforce that. Do they like scroll through social media and finding those pictures? I don't know. I feel like it's probably not very, very well enforced, but yeah. it is. But, it is. I mean, illegal. don't risk it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is illegal, so don't do it. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. And the, my, I guess my point in saying that was that there are, we, we, there are, there, there are some distractions in this election, but I am glad that, like, yeah, we haven't heard a lot of third party noise. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people that <laughs> I was looking at general election candidates. And there are people running for president that I have just literally never heard of. There are four candidates. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Howie Hawkins. Yeah, never heard of that person. <laughs> and and Joe Jorgensen. I think Howie Hawkins is the Green Party candidate. Okay. Um his, his I clicked on his on his ballotopedia situation and he says, We can't wait on Trump, the racist incompetent or Biden, the neoliberal hawk, to fight for the needs of the working class. We need our own political voice. We need our own independent power. We need an eco-socialist Green New Deal. Look, I agree with all of that, right? (laughs) But that's not going to (laughs) work. And, I mean, yeah, I don't know this guy, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of a catch-22. I don't feel good about leaving the 
are like saying that it's up to third party candidates to get themselves up to a high enough status to be able to contend. I think it has to come from all directions. Um, but you know, this feels like the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's always going to feel like the wrong time. Exactly. It's always going right? to feel like the wrong because time. Because every election, we've always heard, this is the most important election of our whole lifetimes, right? Right. And has it, I mean, I wonder how true it's been. Like, when, because, like, that can't be true every time, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like we heard that first. Um, I feel like before. we literally hear it every every election. Like, I feel like that was definitely true in 2004, Right, because it was like a referendum on the Iraq War. Was that? Oh yeah, right. Like so, Bush took office in two thousand. I think so, and then like you know, nine eleven was two thousand one. Right. Yeah. So yeah, two thousand four, a referendum on the Iraq War. Wartime presidents typically do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, because because like nationalism is at you know typically at all time highs during wars. So mm-hmm. he he beats um who was it Kerry. In a second time? Yeah, I don't I don't remember. So there was one... I don't remember which election was the hanging chads. It was either the one against Al Gore or the one against Kerry. Mm-hmm. I think it was I maybe don't. the first one. I think it was when he first got elected, and it was, like, a huge deal, right? Yeah. Well, the yeah, so when George first... When George Bush first took office in 2000, he beat Al Gore. Mm-hmm. And that was very contentious because of there was such a slim florida it came down to florida right and there was such yeah. a slim margin and that was the hanging chads thing where they were like oh we're gonna throw out some of these ballots because like they didn't it was like a push pin type thing yeah right and like they didn't push it all the way through or something and so they threw out all these ballots and it was like that was the margin yeah you and know? like and like the highest court in the land i can't remember so I don't know exactly how it went but courts told florida that they couldn't recount their own ballots like mm-hmm. Um, and it was a big, it was a big deal. So that was a big deal. It set some, I think it probably set some real precedent, right? And then we definitely heard that like the Obama election in two thousand eight was the biggest election, right, of our time. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, the Obama administration um, did set a lot of new precedents, right? Like, I mean, obviously Obamacare and like gay marriage. I feel like are the the biggest two things that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and also some bad precedents of like aggressive drone striking. And some pretty anti-immigrant policies came out of the mm-hmm. Obama administration, right? Yeah. My point is just that, like, as if you hear it over and over and over again, it's hard to it's hard actually, to actually know, true. is this really the most important election? Like, obviously, we've never had a pandemic before. Obviously, right, like, we just went through four years of, like, massive shit. Yeah. <laughs> right? It feels, I think that in, in light of the pandemic especially – that makes it feel like this is something that is different like just very distinctive right like i've never i've never voted in a way that i felt like the candidate that is chosen will i think directly impact the number of people that die from this disease yeah um so in that way i've never felt like there's been such a direct translation of like harm and i also don't feel like there has been as much openness to changing the system given that we just had this catastrophic event that has like completely shown how weak our systems are yeah right yeah i went back and watched that bill gates thing that you recommended by the way the bill yeah, gates TED talk yeah i mean he was <laughs> he was just fucking right bill gates was like i think i i think we talked about this in the pod before if those <laughs> for those of you that are listening 
Bill Gates had a TED talk that was like five or six years ago in the wake of Ebola. Mm-hmm. Where, 2015. Yeah, where he was like, essentially like, the next big global crisis, the thing that takes us down is going to be a disease, it's going to be a pandemic, and we're not ready. And the Ebola crisis showed us that we're not ready, and these are the ways that we can be ready. And, and he was completely fucking ignored. Dude, he was ignored, and he was so <laughs> right. He was like, so right. He was like, he was like, look, it's a one trillion dollar fix, which is expensive, but in the grand scheme of our world, not that expensive. Especially given how much a pandemic would cost. Especially given how much a pandemic would cost, and we these are very tangible changes. Like we need people dead. We need more people dedicated to like dedicated to like disease containment we need to create supply lines for people to get there and he was i what i thought was his most interesting point he was like we have we already have the infrastructure through the united states military to get people and things places fast like we should deploy pandemic response internationally using our military infrastructure Mm mm-hmm and you know just a lot of things that make sense that we didn't do <laughs> and in fact completely did the opposite of where the military like gets all of this relief funds and then spends it on jets or whatever right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and it was you know he was essentially saying like look ebola was low-key like it was you know it was a disease where if you have it and you're contagious it's really easy to tell because you're bleeding out of every orifice in your fucking body <laughs> yeah and but if we happen across a disease that is airborne, that is harder to track, we're fucked. Yeah. Unless we do these things. And he was right. We're fucked. Yeah, especially because it's so easy to look at those examples and be like, wait, but look how prepared we were. We successfully contained it. Right? Yeah. And that this is just like the example of how that's faulty reasoning. Right. And right? in a way that like, you know, coronavirus is it's a, i mean it's a good it's good at spreading but in a way it's kind of not that good because thing like simple things like a face mask drastically reduce the you know drastically reduce the the contagious level of, of the disease but you know and that's a simple fix that we just didn't do well and i mean that's the thing is like the the real enemy is not like the virus itself it is our human nature yes right yes and the virus is, is exploiting that within us yeah and, and it's just like damn what are you gonna and do about really, that right and I don't, you know maybe our human nature but like also our i mean our our nature as americans right like exactly you're right because other places did not it's you're right that's a hundred percent you're right it's like not a necessarily universal human inevitable thing right i mean and like obviously i mean we've talked so much on this show about like the trade-offs of like security and freedom right but in nations that are less free where they were just where they can just say look put on a mask we're gonna put you in jail <laughs> and there's not shit you can do about it or whatever I'm not saying I advocate for that but like i mean they contained right it was like it's something about the american ego and our and the american perception of freedom and you know i don't know i don't know how much like the trumpianness has mixed into that and how like you know i I feel like if Trump wasn't president, it would have gone down better. But, you know, obviously. Well, that's why it's funny, because there's this rhetoric around, you know, Trump standing for freedom. But we are actively becoming less free. Yeah. But I think that there I think that 
the camp the Trump campaign's now weaponizing that, right? Yeah. They're now saying that like the Democrats want to keep us shut down. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in the last election, he was like, you know, he essentially said like, we don't have a choice; we have to open up. Mm-hmm. And and then he like you know they characterized the Democrats as the party of like wanting to keep the country closed. And Joe, I actually think I think he does a bad job a lot of the time. I think he did a good job at in this part in this specific instance of talking about like very clearly and succinctly saying, no, I think that we can, I think that we should be reopening, but I think we can do so in a smarter way and provide infrastructure and supplies in a way that your campaign hasn't been doing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I've, I've never felt, this feels like the most important election to me a lot because of the pandemic. And, you know, it's very, very, a very tangible way that we can see harm being done and i've i don't i don't know if we've ever seen such a tangible tracker right right exactly and i i mean my message is just that you know i actually don't even think that the people who need to who are listening to this probably need to be told to vote i would just say if you can and i think almost everyone can do the extra step, go the extra mile, and get other people to vote. You know? Yeah, set up infrastructure. Do what you can. Um, <laughs> I am I am voting in person because I'm afraid, you know, <laughs> of the the Postal Service and all of that. Oh, man, remember when... Remember when the Trump campaign was actively sabotaging the Postal Service? Yeah, and I've been hearing people from, like, my friends in LA were saying that there's apparently people who are setting like mail drop boxes on fire fire. yeah and like putting up fake drop boxes yeah that kind of thing which is like actually like now that we think about it like very very easy to do right yeah (laughs) it's just that no i guess like you know i wouldn't have suspected that someone would be like malicious enough to go out and do that you know it's almost like we should create secure infrastructure around this kind of thing you know we could create jobs or, or create create positions where like it's these people entire these people's entire job to like just like go and pick up votes from people right like we could take out a middleman we could yeah like, i mean if we're doing that with the census where we're sending people out to go count people yeah we could like you know we could if we as a country really cared about making sure that everyone's vote was counted we would be doing a lot of things differently absolutely um and i'm happy that there is a push in absentee voting for absentee voting now to make things easier but i think it's also important to recognize that like yeah there we could be doing a lot more and um you know we to we could be doing a lot more to sort of hack proof our system for voting yeah and just make it like less of a terrible experience yeah it's such a bad experience it's so yeah, like people in australia they have mandatory voting in australia and they actually fund all the infrastructure so that like they wait in line for like you know no more than 20 minutes right there's no reason we couldn't be doing that just done um philip defranco says and i think he got this from somebody and i think elijah repeated the sentiment too which is that if America didn't care whether you voted or not, or if your vote didn't really didn't have an impact, they wouldn't be spending so much money to try and make sure you don't vote or that yeah. you can't vote. And the powers that be, you know, there's a lot of dollars going into, I think right now, 
the most tangible way to see that is like into legal like lawsuits, legal defenses on whether or not like how, how whether or not it's legal to make it easy for you to vote. Yeah. So, um, you know, go do that or whatever. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> oh my God. get activated go vote (laughs) (laughs) if you're still with us uh please go vote uh this is a very important election people are dying every day and you know maybe we could do something about that (laughs) (laughs) um and maybe the first step to doing something something about that is casting your vote and doing the extra little bit of research that it will take this year to make sure that your vote will be counted mm-hmm. um, I'm voting in person but if you can't do that then absentee but I think it's too late I think it yeah you, I don't think it's, it's I, I don't think you should have like sent it in the mail by now yeah <laughs> like well I think, it, I think <laughs> some states are like if it's postmarked then then it's fine yeah. but you know do your research man and if you haven't if, you, if it's just sitting in your house, then just send it. <laughs> but make sure you figure out if your state needs a witness, if you need, like, an outer and an inner envelope. These are all things that I heard of, of things that, like, are getting ballots invalidated. So, cool. Uh, I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter. That's our Gmail. That's our Instagram. Bye. <laughs>